you know, as a married couple with a baby doing this together, you know, we were jumping in with two feet, but we, we did it as incrementally as possible because I think, um, I guess being a parent requires you to be a little less risk taking, but I think that's probably, that's probably the flavor of entrepreneurship that a lot of people should pursue is you have to convince yourself as like a, a deep skeptic first and then go convince other people. And so that's how we approached it. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering business, ideas, entrepreneurship, investing, and life. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into The Fort. Really excited to have Caleb and Natalie Ebel, the husband and wife co-founding team of Backdrop Paint. I've been fortunate enough to be an investor in their business since day one and watch them grow. I'm excited to talk more today about why paint and why it needs to be disrupted, the power of surrounding yourself with great mentors and people of influence, why time allocation and your ability to stay focused can make or break you, the major ups and downs of startup life, and what it's like to work with your spouse. Thanks again for joining me, and I hope you enjoy. So... Would you guys start by telling me um, how the idea of Backdrop came about? Yeah, of course. So, hey, this is Natalie. Um, so we really, I mean, we painted every home that we've ever lived in. And I grew up painting with my dad. He painted homes on the side. I would um, paint my, I think I painted my room like five or six times before I was 16. So always loved the process and saw how, transformative paint could be but also saw how painful it was um Caleb and I painted every apartment and yeah it was not a fun experience but we also saw how transformational that you know fresh coat of paint especially in a shabby New York City apartment on a budget could be and so we would just always do it uh begrudgingly and uh found ourselves at that hardware store all too many times um we actually live in New York City we live near a neighborhood hardware store. Um, and we would always walk by there, you know, going to the train every day and see people standing in front of that color wall, you know, 3,000 colors, just really pulling their hair out uh, with frustration. You even see the same people there multiple times, and it became a bit of a running joke. And then when it was time to paint our place, that was the only option. We'd, we'd go do the same thing. And so we started thinking about, you know, this was really awful uh, and looking at it and saying, like, why is this the case? There's got to be a better way. Looking online for an alternative in 2016 and even started talking to some friends and family to figure out, like, is this a New York City problem or are other people around the country also seeing this problem? Uh, and so we talked to our friends in the Midwest and on the West Coast and kind of universally everyone said, yeah, we're spending a lot of time and resource at this stage of life on our home space. And painting was always a part of that. And yeah, we hated that process going to the hardware store multiple times, just feeling so overwhelmed by this antiquated industry. And so we started thinking very seriously, like there might be something here um, in in the fall of 2016. Oh yeah, I, Chris, you know how this goes. Like we um, ended up, I was pregnant and we didn't really think it was time to start a business. Like when I was pregnant, I was like, we have to put this on pause. Um, so sat on it for a while, but naturally like painting came up again during uh, that whole experience. We have a small closet, basically you could call it a nursery in New York city, but it's a tiny room that I wanted to paint and I wanted to paint it white. And so I started to go through that process and I was like, I just want to pure white. I go to the hardware store and I ask them for their best selling white. Say, well, we have 300, but here's our, our 30 best selling colors of white. And I was like, you've got to be joking. And, um, juxtaposed to that, which was really funny, is I ordered this vintage rug from a dealer in Morocco at that same time as we were redoing the nursery, and I got the rug faster than I could paint a room white. 
and we were like, this is a problem. And, you know, paint is the cheapest way to transform your space. But right now, how it is, it's also one of the more painful ways. So um, after we had our daughter, it was June 2017, we started to really look at the, the category again and also just do more research. And were y'all looking to start a business? Was that a plan all along is once we find something that, um, you know, we really, an idea we really believe in, we're going to start a business or did this spawn out of there's a major problem here and we need to start a business to solve it? Yeah, really the latter in our experience. Natalie and I both had the opportunity to work in kind of entrepreneurial environment. Um, Natalie at Pencils Promise and and myself at Warby Parker and Bylight. And so we had enjoyed that experience. It was fun to work with uh, young people creating something, uh, but never really saw necessarily ourselves as uh, entrepreneurs. Um, but, you know, having come through that process and uh, feeling like there had to be a, you know, alternative that we just couldn't find and feeling like we, you know, together had like this interesting combination of, uh, skills. Um, my uh, background being from finance operations and Natalie's being from marketing and branding. And, you know, when you marry those things together, there's a lot of interesting things that happen uh, for a branded physical product company. And so that's what really led us down the path. Pencil to Promise and Warby Parker are both well-known companies. Can you speak a little bit more to what y'all did there that you felt like prepared you for starting Backdrop? Yeah. So I worked at Pencils of Promise for four years. I started there in 2014 um, and most recently was the CMO. And I think what Pencils of Promise taught me so much was we were a charity, but we were a brand as well. And that a powerful brand can do so much regardless of the amount of resource that you have to put behind it. Because we had no marketing budget. But what we did have was a community of supporters and a community of people that were so excited about the brand and what we were doing that that really propelled us forward. Um so I think, you know, having a small scrappy team with no resources really sets you up nicely to start your own business because yeah. you have to wear many hats, um, you know, in a role like that. So I would say the the big thing that I learned was brands and then also the power of like partnerships and just community. Yeah, I mean, I earlier in my career spent time in the industrial manufacturing space and finance and operations roles, and I was really just intrigued by the operational complexity of, um, you know, creating something physical, moving around, selling it, et cetera. Um, but Warby Parker is the first time I got to marry kind of that physical product interest with brand and technology. And that's really the sweet spot where so much interesting stuff happens. And just fortunate to have that opportunity at Warby Parker where, you know, I was there uh, in the relatively early days, um, but got to see, you know, a best in class early brand growing very fast and just surrounded by really amazing talent uh, and still people that today that I look up to a lot and, and consider friends. And so um, it was a really great experience. And similarly at BioLite, just amazing talent and seeing the earliest stages of business growth is great preparation if you do want to go down that entrepreneurial path. Right. Um, you both You both talked a lot about the power of a brand how do you guys think about what a, what a powerful brand is and, and, and why is it that you don't necessarily need to have a huge budget to build an amazing brand? Yeah, I think that um, you never buy your way to friends or customers. I think that you build relationships with them and you build something that people want to be a part of. Um, and just being authentic, like, I think one thing that I learned a lot at Pencils of Promise is you talk to people as people. You don't talk to them as customers. You talk to them as how you want to be spoken to, and you build something bigger than yourself that they want to be a part of. And I think that's what we've done with Backdrop. Like, um, that's what we're hoping to do with Backdrop, and that's what I think we're doing. But it's just it's, – it's creating something um, more than just a product to buy but an experience to have. Right. Well – a little, so you see a issue in the paint world. Um, you have your child. You decide now's now's the best time to get started. What is um, what is different about backdrop, and what is backdrop uh, executing on that will change the way that people think about paint? Yeah. So some of the things that we had 
seen uh, in our own experience um, as pain points were around the overwhelming kind of decision paralysis that comes with color selection, uh, the sampling process, which is really painful and usually requires your second trip to the hardware store and money outlay and a project on your walls. And then thirdly, the supplies um, selection process is kind of equally as overwhelming as the color selection, just uh, an abundance of choice and no guidance uh, and quality that was all over the spectrum. And so really what we wanted to do is simplify and strip down the experience as if we were starting from scratch with the first principles approach. And a lot of the pain points are the culmination of 200 years of history for most of these large pain points. They've been in business since the 1800s. And a lot of the decisions that made sense at the time have now, you know, compounded into pain for the customer ultimately. And so our approach um, was one of simplicity and really empowering uh, the DIY painter primarily, but we've seen kind of value on, on the other side of the market as well. So our, our launch palette is 50 colors, uh, and each color is um, uh, filtered through uh, our own aesthetic and, you know, colors that we would actually be proud to to have on our walls. When you have 3,000 colors, um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, what we call kind of vanity colors for marketing purposes in that palette, but not colors that people actually paint their rooms. And so we wanted to be true to, you know, the the true intent of uh, empowering our customers with, you know, 50 great options to start. And so there's no wrong choices. And then from there, you can really personalize, um, you know, the sampling process, like I said, was super painful. And our approach was we uh, found a way to do it with 12 by 12. So like a square foot adhesive swatch that you can um, put in multiple parts of your space. So put on different walls, wrap around a corner, and really test the color in your space, but without having to buy those sample pots, go to the hardware store, buy supplies, paint your wall, have a half-painted wall, uh, and then go you know, do it all again to actually paint your wall. And so the sampling process is, is a really important part of our uh, journey and something we felt the, the pain in. Uh, Natalie's mother actually uh, informed that part of the process. Yeah, my mom, Chris, had uh, paint swatches up on the wall for, I think, over three months. And so she canceled Christmas that year because her living room, which was like in disarray with all these swatches. And then also, even worse, she forgot what the colors were because when, once you paint it on the wall, you usually have to write on it or put a piece of tape under it. So she didn't remember the color names or which ones were corresponding. So she had to start the whole process over again. So um, we can thank my mom for our 12 by 12 swatches. Yeah, that have the color name and the color description on them so you don't ever uh, forget. And it helps to train the eye. Uh, and then we, you know, on that last step, if you're painting yourself, the supplies are super important. So uh, you could have the best thing in the world and, you know, poor quality supplies and you're just smearing that stuff all over your walls. And so the, the supply quality is really important. We're, we're able to offer, you know, ultra premium supplies at a really great value. Um and only what you need. So we've curated a really tight selection of uh, supplies so you don't have to worry about, you know, all the different things that you might need to come together. Um, we've all too many times had way too much of the wrong stuff and not enough of the right stuff uh, and had to make those multiple trips back even mid-project to the hardware store, which we don't want our customers to have to do. And then ultimately, you know, the opportunity for backdrop, like you mentioned, is, you know, taking a new brand approach to the home interior category and, the paint category specifically has just been um, basically non-branded. It's, it's void of all brand affinity, which is unique uh, among kind of consumer categories. Most people have no idea what brand and certainly not what color name is on their walls. And so it's a real opportunity to uh, reshape how people think about their walls and their space and paint. Yeah, and Chris, I grew like I said, I grew up painting actual walls with my dad, but I also just grew up loving art and the process of paint in any form. Like when I wasn't allowed to paint my walls in my room, I had soft paint and I had markers and I had color and I would always, you know, just put all types of paints over everything. So I think that the approach that we've taken with Backdrop is really celebrating the process as an art form. Like we say, like, what if painting could be fun? And painting is fun, but it hasn't been fun historically because it takes way too many trips and way too much of your time to be an enjoyable process. But with Backdrop, we're challenging that. And, um, you know, it's funny, we have this like post-sample sur or post-purchase survey online and people are filling out like Backdrop just makes me want to paint. And that is our goal. Like paint can be transformative to your space and you can do it as often as you like. 
I love it. I think one of the things that we connected on really early was that no matter um, the budget that you're on or, you know, if you make a lot of money or don't make a lot of money, paint impacts everybody in a way. And it is the common thing that when people are either redoing a space or flipping a home or updating their office space, whatever it may be, a fresh coat of paint, no matter where you are in the world, seems to really kind of hit the soul. And um, again, it's something that can be done affordably. It can be done. You don't have to be a professional to paint. You can do it on your own with a little bit of guidance. Um, and so the addressable market here, I would imagine for y'all is, is large. Exactly. And I think that's what was so fun when we talked to you early on. Even if you like an, a room is too overwhelming right now. So if you just want to paint an accent wall or paint your bathroom or paint a door, it totally changes your space. But I think the other thing that we've done is like my dad was always kind of like our, our coach through the process because he is um, like a pro painter. So what we've done is like we have a manual that tells you like easy steps of painting. We've also created painting playlists like what would this color sound like? What does it feel like? So you can be a part of our brand before you're ready to paint your space too. We just released, um, we like Harajuku Morning, which is one of our playlists on Spotify, Surf Camp, After Hours. So experiencing paint in all different ways has been a really fun thing to do. What's been the most unique way you've uh, seen paint experience since Backdrop launched? Um, the shirts. I think that what was funny is we made these shirts they're long sleeve just white Hanes t-shirts and we made them because my dad would always wear white and i always think contractors look so cool and they're all white yeah. and we made these shirts that say wet paint and then backdrop on the back and they were just for internal purposes we would wear them when we paint we gave them to people that were a part of our photo shoot and then we had a huge like request and demands of all these people on Instagram saying, where can I buy your wet paint tees? When are you guys going to put those up on the website? And I was like, no, these are just, you know, people don't really want to buy these. Oh, well, people definitely want to buy them. And I think what's been so cool is people want to wear a paint brand on their shirt and you don't just wear it to paint, but we've seen girls wearing it to fashion shows in Milan um, to go work out just to hang out. And it's been cool to see people be a part of our brand in that way. That's awesome. Um, this is kind of a follow-up similar type question and I'm sure the list is long, so keep it, um, well, maybe it's not long, but what are some of the biggest, uh, things that you've learned since launching backdrop that you didn't really know would happen before launching backdrop? Yeah, we've learned <laughs> every day we're learning. Yeah. Um, a couple of interesting things that we've learned that have challenged some of our early assumptions uh, and some in a, in a really positive way. So we assumed that the, the vast majority, maybe all of our customers would um, be sampling the, the color swatches in their space before purchasing. And what we've seen is uh, there's a large number of people who, based on the trust that we've built and the credibility that we've built with the brand and the website experience, which is really unique. The, the website experience um, shows real paint in all of its different forms. So wet paint, dry roll paint, corner shots with shadows, even people with the paint itself and not like a digital rendering, like is traditional in, in a lot of paint websites. And so uh, just building confidence in that experience, we see uh, something close to half of our paint orders coming from people that have opted to trust that and not sample the color in their space at all, which is, uh, really interesting, and also we think confidence um, building in the in the digital experience in the in the color curation. That's one interesting learning. Um, we we set out to build a brand that was really inclusive um, and not overly feminine, as we've seen a lot of interior brands because paint is a it's a pretty balanced purchase. Um, both men and women paint. Uh, it's often if they're kind of two members of the household, it's a, it's a joint exercise. And so that's played out as well. Kind of, I think, you know, learning that's reinforced the hypothesis in that, you know, truly half of our customers are male and female, which has been interesting. Um, what about commercial versus residential? Yeah. I mean, we, all right. So we set out, you know, backdrops really informed by, uh, Natalie and I's experience painting our own spaces. And so a very like 
residential DIY perspective on paint and solving a lot of those pain points. But um, I think we failed before launch to understand just how much opportunity and how much value we could offer to uh, the pro side of the market as well. And so we have um, the color palette that uh, takes a lot of the decision paralysis away for customers, but it also empowers designers and architects and people um, choosing color for a broad array of uh, uh, spaces and not just residential DIY painters that see a lot of value in that uh, color curation. We have a really high quality paint that we can offer at great value. And so we've seen demand for that um, from people ranging from offices to co-working spaces to uh, residential and, and property development. And so that's also really exciting where we're just starting to scratch the surface of that side of the pro market. And, and in your, um, is your supply chain working how you had initially planned it out prior to launch or has there been updates or tweaks to your supply chain along the way that you couldn't have figured out until you were, you know, neck deep in the business? Uh, predominantly, yes. I mean, we spent a lot of time on supply chain before launch because, you know, paint itself is one of the more challenging uh, items to move around for an e-commerce uh, business. It's it's heavyweight relative to the dollar value. And so it takes a lot of operational prowess to do this well. Um, and so we invested a lot in, in that part of the business ahead of launch along with the brand. Um one thing that we have learned, though, is that we started out with a single warehouse based in Kansas, which we felt like was the you know a pure central spot to ship the whole country from. Um, and we learned very quickly that our customers are both in the Midwest, but also on both coasts. And we want to be able to offer very quick turnaround times, so that you know if you decide on a Thursday in New York City that you're going to paint this weekend and you place that order, we can get it to you before the weekend. So you can paint your apartment on a Saturday. And so uh, we subsequently kind of expanded our operational footprint and we now have three warehouses, where, which means we can ship to the entire country in one to two business days on average, um, which is a really great customer experience. It's something we learned after we launched. And to confirm y'all's, uh, the manufacturing of the paint itself is done. Is it, is it a co-packer or y'all aren't doing the manufacturing of the paint on your own? You're that's done by a third party currently. Yeah. So we've been able to build a really deep relationship with a 125 year old, uh, paint company, uh, family owned, um, but a, a company that's really uh, professional, has a lot of deep technical uh, expertise and history uh, to lean on. And they've just been amazing partners. And so uh, we work with them exclusively um, and we uh, have built a really deep relationship, which means we have kind of exclusivity with them in, in North America to build this thing together. And so it's a really uh, important partnership to us and one that we are really excited about. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um it's got to be uh, building that relationship in a business where your core product you're putting in the hands of other people to make as you get started, I could imagine is uh, was a huge focus for y'all and would be for anybody that, um, you know, again, has their core product being made by a third party. How did, how did you find them besides calling everybody yeah, on of, the planet and, and finally finding them? Yeah. A lot of research and, uh, conversations um you know we you know when we first said well there's definitely a pain point here uh for paint but can it be done like are there uh manufacturers who could you know create a formulation that works for our customers can we do it cost efficiently can you ship this stuff you know the, the product was where we started and so uh we were really fortunate to to find this partner and they've just kind of exceeded our expectations uh but it was not an easy uh, proposition and I think paint specifically is challenging because there is a relative shortage of of quality suppliers outside of the you know the large 200 year old manufacturing companies that have been doing it a really long time and so um, we're in a fortunate position. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, you might have to edit this part, Chris, because Caleb might not want me to talk about it. But during a certain part when we were looking for. Uh, suppliers I won't say which specific one but I had my heart set exactly on what I wanted 
and I called this one company so many times and left a message that they they thought I was harassing them. Do you remember <laughs> that, Caleb? The... Oh, we have to. <laughs> well, so the, I mean, it was yeah. terrible. It was a... take, it's like such an old industry that this. I was I was a woman. I was calling. I was asking questions, telling them I started a business, and they called back and they asked for the um, the guy. They asked for my husband. Um, cause they wouldn't talk to me. And I was like, well, no, you, you have to talk to me for this. And, um, Caleb can elaborate on it a little bit more, but it, it was a really frustrating process. We ended up getting to where we wanted to, but I think when you're working in such like a dated industry like this, um, they wouldn't talk to me. They would only talk to Caleb. Yeah, it was really, that was frustrating for sure. But I think it also speaks to just how great the partners that we've been able to find are because, because it is such an antiquated, uh, category, both on the paint manufacturing and the paint application tools um the vendors in these categories tend to be very traditional and so when you find one that can offer a really high quality but is also excited about the new approach to their uh category like that's um a great partner to have and so we just feel really fortunate with those relationships well y'all are uh y'all are an amazing team y'all are a married couple and i would be remiss not to ask what is it like to work day in and day out with your husband and wife and how do you guys know when to turn it on and turn it off? Oh, it's, I think that it's, it's tough, but it's also has, um, it's been really amazing because I think that Caleb and I have been one, we've been married for 10 years, um, in September. <clears throat> so we have a lot of history together, but I think when you work with someone, that's a whole new approach to your relationship. Um, we're still trying to figure it out, Chris. So if you have any tips, let us know. But I think that, you know, our areas are so different. Like I focus on the brand and creative stuff and Caleb's on, you know, more of the finance operations and business side of it, kind of like knowing our areas. But what I think has been so amazing through this is I never before backdrop would go to Caleb for creative stuff and ask his opinion. But what I've learned is like, he has amazing taste and we both have been able to compliment each other in our respective areas so much um, that I think I've learned a lot from him and hopefully he's, he's been inspired by me too. Yeah. It's crazy when you, you've been married for, you know, a decade and, and dated before that, you think that you know everything about a person and you know, working together is a whole different like dimension uh, to our relationship. And we added that dimension just after adding uh, the parent dimension to our relationship. And so we're still, you know, evolving as people and learning uh, more about each other. Um, and I would say that, you know, this is not um, for the faint of heart and it's definitely not uh, for everyone. We are still finding the right formula of life balance that makes this work for us, but um, it's underpinned by a lot of mutual trust and history that we built up over time, um, which I think is the requisite kind of foundation for that. Yeah. I think, you know, having a daughter too is, it's super tricky putting this in the mix because it's, I mean, balance is already the hardest thing you have to do in life. But then when you have a business and you have a baby together, um, it just takes a lot of discipline. And we're still learning that. Like when we get home, you know, let's turn our phones off. Let's not look when we get those emails. Like let's try to set aside time for our family. But I think also in our working styles, Caleb's a morning person. I'm a night person where I want to work at 1030 at night and talk about all my ideas and he's sleeping and, <laughs> You know, um, trying to be respectful to one another's schedules is that's hard for me because I don't really have boundaries. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, when you love what you're doing and the business is growing, it it doesn't. I always say like it's hard for me to turn it off because I don't necessarily want to turn it off. I I love the flow, but I I obviously need to be present in certain certain situations, and so it's more just reminding, I guess, myself. Um, it's okay. Let's be present. Let's do something different. And what I love to do will be there as soon as I'm ready to turn it back on. But totally. yeah, it doesn't feel like uh, a chore because we love this business that we've breathed life into and, and, um, and built together. <clears throat> but uh, also having a kid definitely helps keep things in perspective. Those, the highs and lows of the journey, you know, are, are much less, um, meaningful compared to all of the other things that are happening in, in real life as a parent. For sure. Yeah, it definitely keeps, keeps perspective. Um, but I think what is funny is, I don't know if it's, it's just 
I guess the life that we live in right now, our daughter's favorite toy is our backdrop paintbrush that she walks around and like brushes against the walls, which we all will have to send you one for your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and then two, we have to turn off our phones because when she hears Shopify ching, she like says yes with her arm. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Like it, it's a true family business at this point. That is awesome. You you're you have an intern already. We do. <laughs> um what uh so was there like a, a moment that y'all were like, we're going to do this? I mean, I, I can imagine the idea kept maturing. Obviously, you had your daughter. But was there a point in time where it was like, it's either sink or swim. We either going to do this or we're not. Or like, when when did you make the jump? I mean, I would say that we tackled this in, I think, the most pragmatic method methodological methodological uh, approach we could have right like we were very um incremental in inching towards that place where we jumped in with two feet right so we um you know had our baby we had um been kind of thinking about this researching on the side you know looking at you know consumer research having conversations uh researching kind of the supplier um uh, offerings and and starting to build relationships there and so like at each stage we were you know checking off boxes that were requisite for making this a viable business and so as we started to uh, check off more and more boxes and the time investment required to do these things uh, increased we were building confidence in the risk that we were about to take as you know as a married couple with a baby doing this together you know we were jumping in with two feet but we we did it as incrementally as possible because I think, um, I guess being a parent requires you to be a little less, um, risk taking, but I think that's probably, you know, that's probably the flavor of entrepreneurship that a lot of people should pursue is, you know, you have to convince yourself as like a, a deep skeptic first and then go convince other people. And so that's how we approached it. So, you know, by the time we had, really started working on backdrops full-time and not just as our second job. Uh, we had checked a lot of boxes um, to go check this for ourselves. Was there a box that y'all checked that after that got checked, you said, all right, let's go put in our two weeks. It's time to get going. <laughs> mm, I, don't, I think it was when we were able to find that, uh, you know, we were able to build the supply relationship um, that was such a important piece of the puzzle, right? To be able to find the right supplier and know that this could be done uh, in in a margin uh, sustainable way um, at a high quality. Like I think after we had you know got checked that, then it was time to start thinking about building a brand around those things, and uh, that required us to really jump in with two feet. And as a disclaimer to listeners, uh, I am a happy investor in Backdrop. And so my next question leading into that, which I think is something that all startups, um, especially with those bringing new and innovative ideas to the market, um, you know, obviously go through is the process of raising capital. What was that like for y'all? Um, and how long did it take to raise the money that y'all needed to really, really get the engine turned on? Yeah, at the earliest stages when you're in kind of research mode and prototyping mode, um, you can do most of that out of your own pocket. And so we did that for, for quite a while. It's, um, you know, the barriers to entry at, at the earliest stages are relatively low. And so it's more about um, time investment and relationships and money doesn't necessarily, you know, get you those things. Um, so by the time we were, ready to start investing in uh, brand and building out the technology platform. Those were the first more material um, resource outlays that we had to make for the business. And so that was when we started to bring in uh, friends and family support. And we were fortunate to have, you know, the support of uh, former employers and, and uh, friends and family who were, you know, believing in us, you know, as much or more so than the business opportunity at that stage. Um, because there were just not, there wasn't much meat on the bones at that stage. And so they were betting on, 
on our passion and, and our abilities and really grateful to them. And then as that progressed, uh, we were able to bring in um, some some other partners who uh, saw more of the business opportunity as we were able to flush that stuff out. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it was a very iterative process at first, not all at once. Did y'all, um, did somebody help y'all make your original investor deck or did y'all put it together through experience you had had, you know, in your prior career? Yeah, we didn't really, um, have an investor deck per se. I think what we ended up having for some of those early investor conversations was, uh, a bit more of a preview of, of the brand as it was coming together, um, we definitely had some guidance from from uh, friends and, and peers who had been down this financing road before. You know, folks like um, you know Steph Corey over in a way who was really valuable um, perspective, uh, built an amazing business and several steps ahead of us. Um, but someone I worked with at Warby Parker, so those people were helpful in like you know framing the types of things that we would need to uh, talk to or present to. Potential investors, but we didn't spend a ton of time on a deck per se because we we were just like all hands on deck doing all the other things that were required to to get a business to launch. And we were tackling something you know pretty challenging in that we had you know 50 colors, each was kind of a separate product. Each needed to be uh, there was a lot of content creation and uh, photos and videos and web assets, all those things we were investing heavily alongside the product. So um, just didn't spend the time or energy necessarily on the investor materials. Um, and so I think it's really situation specific. And some, some people would probably see a lot of value in investing the energy and time and creating a great story, uh, you know, deck and, and highlighting their brand. We just didn't have the time and energy to. Yeah. I think if we had one skew, we probably would have focused more on that. But like Caleb said, I think we had over like 120 SKUs to launch with, which um, no. isn't easy to do when you're a, a small team of three co-founders. <laughs> right. Um, now, y'all were kind of a walking investment deck. You were living your mm-hmm. investment deck. Um, so you you have the idea, you raise the money. What was the what was launch day like? I have to imagine it was chaotic. Actually, I think it was a little anticlimactic because leading up to launch was so hectic yeah. <laughs> um the week before we launched we actually were here where my parents live in kansas and we came home so that we could help with or they could help with child care and i just remember i sat at my parents basement table for like 36 hours and didn't move as we were loading the website with all of our products and i look wow. up and i have like a bowl of like three snickers and orange and a kiwi i was like oh god <laughs> i haven't eaten in like and how long? And it was just, we, Caleb and I were so like heads down because our website was a very ambitious build and we had to end up uploading everything that when we actually hit go on the website, we were like, oh, wow, this is great. Like, this is the most relaxed we've been. Um, but I mean, it was, it was really exciting. Our website is beautiful and the, you know, the team that helped us with it was amazing and um, we had great feedback. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, some some brands really uh, orchestrate all the moving pieces so that when you launch, you've got heat up uh, dozens of press opportunities. And we were so heads down focused on getting the all those physical products ready to ship and the the digital experience in place that uh, we didn't even think about <laughs> telling people um, that we were going to exist until after we already you know had launched. And so that first month was very organic. You know, as our early customers were friends and family and then they started to tell their friends and family. And then, you know, pretty quickly you start to see orders from people you don't know or know how they found you. And that's like where it really starts to get exciting. And then it really just snowballs from there as you get customers who are, you know, happy with the experience and sharing with their, um, with their, you know, circle. And then, you know, from uh, about a month or six weeks after we formally launched then we started to, see some press, which was really valuable to help amplify our story. And so from there, just really snowballed. Yep. And ha- and how are people finding y'all now? Uh, there has been a lot of press and it's been great. 
Are they finding you, obviously, word of mouth, the website, but are there other channels that they can find you through? Yeah, we've, uh, yeah, Press has definitely been a, a valuable contributor to, to our very early brand awareness. Um, I think, you know, our, the best version is when we have customers who are really happy and telling their friends and family, um, that's our favorite uh, method of customer acquisition. And we've actually seen a large number of repeat customers, which is really great. And, you know, we have this thesis that was based on our own experience, but also some anecdotal data points from the industry that you know, the DIY painter especially is is a pretty frequent painter and you paint in a piecemeal fashion. And so you'll do one weekend, you'll do your living room. And then the next, you know, couple of weeks later, you'll tackle the bathroom. And then a month after that, the kids room. And so there are off uh, a lot of like individual brand touch points uh, and repeat purchases inherent in that journey. And we see that playing out in our, in our uh, actual orders, you know, about a third of our revenue is coming from repeat customers already just in the six month window, which is really fun to see. Um, and so, you know, we, we see customers uh, coming to us from, from press, from word of mouth. And then, yeah, social media is still a really powerful lever for a digital brand and it's still it's one of the few places where you can really showcase your your point of view and your brand in the most unfiltered way and so you know instagram specifically is something we um you know we really uh value and um enjoy kind of creating content for um and so those are kind of the ways right now that people are discovering us and we're looking for uh, new modes of customer acquisition and distribution, which are on the horizon. And that customer experience, once they've seen you on Instagram, they go to your website. It's every, obviously everything right now is direct to consumer. So they have the option to either order samples that can be sent to them and find out what they like, or like what you were saying, 50% of folks are doing, they can order the paint just directly off the website and it's shipped directly to their house. Um, on on the samples is it i'm assuming that's similar to kind of the warby parker model you all are sending samples do they have to send those back or obviously once they've opened the can they just keep it and throw it away or how does all that work yeah so the the sample swatches they're they're 12 by 12 uh adhesives and so they come in an envelope um and yeah they they keep them and so we don't we don't uh require those back um they're beautiful and uh, we have them all over our uh, office, for example. You know, we've turned them into art. Um, we see people uh, leaving them up in their space for quite a while, even sometimes after they've painted, uh, which is interesting and cool to see. Um, so we don't take those back. That's really interesting. I've never heard of a sample of paint actually being something that somebody would enjoy, but that's not surprising because <laughs> y'all are rethinking everything. It's a beautiful experience. Um, you know, they come in, they're 12 by 12, which is about the same size as a vinyl record. And so, you know, the packaging was inspired by that kind of vinyl record experience. And they, they come in a sleeve that's similar. And um, and so, it you know, it feels like a special uh, premium thing that you're getting in the mail and um, not necessarily, a, you know, a tin can hardware store purchase uh, that you begrudgingly have to, back and paint on your walls and so it definitely reorients your mindset around you know the start of that experience i mean y'all didn't invent paint but you are reinventing the way that people experience it can you shed any light on how you all determine like what process you go through to i know y'all's paint can is a beautiful experience it's something brand new it sounds like your sample the same thing how do you guys kind of figure out what is the right thing for y'all to do? What kind of process do you go through? Do you observe a lot of how other folks are doing it or just keep searching the world until something strikes you? Or is there a, is there a method to the madness? Well, most of these early solutions to pain points that we saw were informed by, by our own experiences as uh, consumers without a lot of, um, you know, technical expertise or experience. You know, Natalie had painted, uh, quite a few rooms growing up and her dad had a lot of experience, but we were still really novice as far as painting goes. And um, I'm particularly not very handy. And so 
you know, paint was like the one thing that we could kind of do with a little bit of help and the right, uh, the right product. Um, but so that, that was like the first filter of what, what were we looking for as consumers? And then we, we kind of vetted that with a pretty large community of folks pre-launch uh, that we had in our orbit. So we had about a hundred friends and family by the end of it who were really great thought partners. We did, you know, about a hundred uh, calls with um, friends, family, friends of friends uh, all over the country. So we had renters on both coasts, homeowners in the middle of the country, and just really trying to understand their pain points having painted. And a lot of people were echoing those same um, same things that we were seeing. And so that gave us a lot of confidence to invest around those specific pain points. Um, you know, the paint, the paint packaging, for example, hasn't changed in a long time. It's because those incumbent 200-year-old companies had built their entire kind of industrial processes around that cylindrical form factor. And so, you know, their their factories are built around it. The shaking equipment at the hardware store is built around it. And so they can't change that. Uh, but because we change the way that we manufacture paint. So we add the color in the manufacturing process, which leads to a whole bunch of things, including like more consistent true color and higher quality um, paint itself. But you also then don't have to mix it as the last step. And so it frees you up to explore new types of packaging. And so when we were thinking about that, we were inspired by um, these beautiful olive oil tins that you see at the, at the grocery store. And they're easy to carry. They're beautifully packaged uh and so that was the initial inspiration for what became our our take on the paint can uh and then we had to re-engineer it to be relevant for paint instead of olive oil but that's kind of the impetus for most of these things um so it starts with us and then we lean heavily on the you know thought partners that we've surrounded ourselves with right yeah i think the like you guys had this idea that it needed to change, but finding what that change is for a lot of people is like where people just never make the decision because they can't ever find what they're actually looking for. Um, and one of the things I think y'all do really, really well is you kind of bring the future into the present and you are able to kind of identify how things should be or look. Um, whereas I know myself, that is one of the, the hardest things for me to, to wrap my mind around is rethinking something um, and how it's designed and packaged. And it seems maybe, maybe y'all could give a little comment on this, but it seems like it's a, a very big strong suit of yours to be able to not only reimagine it, but identify what it needs to be in a fashion that, you know, keeps the momentum going. I, would, I mean, we're definitely learning as we go. I would say that we're, we tend to be, skeptical and so that that could just be like a millennial trait but um assuming that something is the right way just because that's the way that it's always been is not our default <laughs> and so we're always questioning uh and so our questioning led us to at least in this case trying to understand why you know these paint brands were all doing the same thing for a hundred years and if you didn't do it that way and you were just starting from scratch, like how would you do it differently? And so that's kind of, that was our baseline approach. Yep. Do y'all have mentors? Yeah, we do. I, I almost treat everyone I meet as a mentor. I feel like you <laughs> learn something from everyone regardless of yep. their experience and age, but a couple of people that stand out, at least to me, um, one was my very first boss. Uh, my first job out of college, I worked in publishing and this woman named Lynn McAdoo was just a badass. Like she was the head of sales and marketing at this publishing company and just um, taught me a lot. And I think that having a good first boss that teaches you discipline and is just a great role model, um, that was transformative for my career. And I always would seek that out in, you know, my my future jobs I would always see is that person who's going to be my boss. What am I going to learn from them? What can they teach me? But um, most recently, someone who I'm just blown away by is this woman named Helen Steed, who helped us with our branding. She previously worked at Bumble and Bumble and then helped launch Glossier in its early days. And she's hands down the most talented and creative person I've ever worked with. But her level of humility and humbleness and just like she's a good person, yep. I think that 
that taught me so much is being in a room with her that she listens before she speaks and she speaks with intention and you want to like soak up every pearl of wisdom she says that um it takes lots of you know make me pause and not talk but when I'm in her presence like she just she blows me away and I would say you know she's someone I look up to a lot right now how did you meet her and about her I I love her (laughs) how did how'd you meet her and and how do you um does she know that she is that person to you I think so I think I like dm her I love you like every other day I'm good at disarming and making people feel uncomfortable but um how did we meet her Caleb it was well, Helen um, led the brand work that we did uh, developing Backdrop in partnership with Are You Leading, uh, who is our um, brand partners. Um, they're this amazing uh, creative agency in New York. And, and Helen had just come over from Glossier um, pretty recently before we started working with them. And we were introduced through uh, mutual friends who had worked with her at Glossier. And so I think Helen's a great example of just folks that have been – uh, so valuable and instrumental to us at Backdrop. We feel like we've just been so fortunate to surround ourselves with uh, a lot of great thought partners who I would definitely call mentors. Um, so both investors, but also these advisors. Um, so Helen is you know part of that group. and uh, Brian Mahoney is the CTO uh, at Glossier. You know, Aaron Collins, who runs you know, e-commerce over at Warby Parker. Alexander Spart, who was who was head of creative at Everlane. These are people who have um, just been really amazing partners for Backdrop, but also just amazing people individually. And so we learned so much from them. Yeah, yeah like Alex and Ellen were like my my brand fairy godmothers. Like they were just so smart and thoughtful and um, just amazing. I think that that's what's been so cool about building something is one, it's no one does it alone. It takes a huge army of people, but just meeting amazing people throughout the process, um, that have become friends has been so cool. Yeah. No, I think one of the most, uh, the, the, one of the traits that struck me about y'all really early on was, um, that you, what you didn't necessarily come out and say it to me this way. It was an observation, but you guys have an amazing ability to surround yourself with people, um, that, it's not a, a take relationship. It's a, you guys have a great uh, ability to befriend people and surround yourself with folks that, you know, can make you better. Um, and when, when we're investing in startup teams that, you know, it's a two or three person team, if you look at it as just that it would be, it's always difficult to say, well, how much can they really get done with just two people? But when you look at kind of the next ring of folks that are surrounding the business, you, you, you can really look at it as they're not really a two person company. They're like a 20 person company and they've got a lot of big players. And, um, just something that I've always noticed about y'all, y'all have surrounded yourself with amazing people. And I would just make the argument to anybody listening that starting something from scratch, it is probably as important about what you're building as it is who you're surrounding yourself with in the early days, because if the wrong person enters the, the flow early on, it can be super disruptive. Um, so kudos to y'all. I need Thank to, you. Yeah, thanks so much. I need to meet Helen Steed. She's amazing. And we count ourselves super fortunate to have these people in our orbit, and um, yeah, we don't take it uh, for granted for sure. And, um, and like you said, I think that's our number one advice: is like you know, surround yourself with people who are both good people and really talented, and you're giving yourself the best chance of success. Yeah, I'm straight up evangelical about Helen, though. Um, and the team at Are, Are You Leading, who we worked with, um, they're a design firm in New York City, and every single person that we worked with was just phenomenal and humble and talented. And I think that just seeing so much humility throughout this process, like it's it's just been really amazing to work with such talented people. Well, you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this a lot, Chris, like working with, entrepreneurs um there's a lot of ego you know tied up in the process of you know trying to create something and um i think you know bring as much as you can like surrounding yourself by people who aren't tied up in that and trying to free yourself up from that as much as possible is like um a really important part of the journey but it, you know some people do it better than others i think no and there's a there's like a, a 
perfect dose of like vulnerability that you have to be willing to show early on. So it's, and, and I think people uh, don't want to show that they're vulnerable because it's a, could be a sign of weakness. Whereas the people that I've seen that have, um, you know, excelled the most have that amount of vulnerability, which is I'm super motivated and I'll run through walls to do anything, but I need people that can teach me which walls to run through and just, and, um, there's a lot of people that would, you know, I think where people make a mistake is they would rather not be told which wall to run through and just also think they need to decide which wall it is. And again, y'all, um, th there's no secret why great people continue to surround y'all. It's not a, um, y'all have a, a formula and it works. And I think it's a, a great mix of vulnerability, being naive, being super, um, generous and nice and kind, but y'all are also some of the hardest workers I know. So, um, for anybody oh, listening, it's a little bit of everything. What, uh, what are the, we, what are the biggest challenges that y'all face today? Um, and how are you working to overcome those? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of challenges. Um, I'd say that one of the biggest challenges just when you're such a small team is uh, prioritization and like time allocation. Um, you know, it's often the solution for startups is just to hire a bunch of people and that is, and then hope that, you know, revenue of or the business grows quickly enough to kind of uh, have that make sense. Yep. Uh, whereas our philosophy is to be really slow to hire um, but what that means is like each of us have to do a lot of things and, um, and, you know, prioritization is really important, you know, especially at this stage of the business. And, and because we've, uh, our brand awareness has started to grow, we've had a lot of interesting inbound opportunities that we have to say no to more often than yes to. And so knowing, like just having the discipline to say no to things and not feel pulled in a million directions, I think uh, is something that's really challenging and, and there's no right, um, answer like we've we've said yes to some things um, that we probably should have said no to and you know there's probably some things that we may have missed out on by saying no and so like it it's definitely more art than science but it, uh, we're trying to be really disciplined with how we allocate our time and, and focusing on the things that are most important which is are we offering a great customer experience because at the end of the day nothing matters except our customers right so like um, press investors um, partnerships, um, interesting people that we meet along the way, like those are all great um, and um, interesting parts of this journey. But our number one goal is to offer a great product and a great customer experience to our customers, and we're investing everything into that. And so that's kind of like the the thing that guides us as we prioritize. I love it. Do, do y'all? Um, Jeff Bezos says that the most successful people on earth allocate their time the best. Uh, and I realize that more and more each day. Do y'all have like a framework for how you set goals or how you know what the key objectives are? Do you, do you have KPIs or do you use a, uh, any type of methodology that's kind of been published like objectives and key results or the traction system or, or how do you, how do you know what is important and how do you know if you're not working on it? Yeah, I mean, it's still something we're uh, incrementally improving on. It's hard when you're so um, head down in, in the details of the of the day. Um, and so those kind of high-level KPIs that guide you are really helpful to reframe and reprioritize. We started to introduce a little bit more kind of, I think, formality and um, how we set aside time to look down the road a little bit more and make sure we're regrouping on um, important things that could just go missed if we were heads down always. Um, I think, it, I mean, for me at least, I find it really valuable to try to com compartmentalize because when you, when you just treat everything as on the same footing, it, it does feel extremely overwhelming. But if you can compartmentalize into like high priority, low priority, or buckets of work, whether it be, you know, operational or marketing or customer experience or whatever, and then tackle those high priority items in each 
bucket. I think that's how you can um, stay afloat and insane. And so that's how I try to tackle it. Because otherwise, if you just jumble it all together, it just feels so overwhelming. Um, I guess we're, I've got a couple more questions, uh, to, to bring us, uh, to, to the end, but, um, how do you think about the first couple hires that you've had? I think you, as I recall, y'all have hired your first people, but what are the, for anybody that's listening that might be interested in going to work for the fastest growing paint company in America, what do you all need to get comfortable with adding another leg to the monster? I think um, our approach has been that we want to, you know, have our hands on everything at this early stage of the business, right? So we can learn deeply all of the nuances and levers of, of our business and, and experience the pain of, uh, exceeding our own bandwidth before we make any hires. And so, um, yeah, again, we've been really slow to hire as we're in that part of the journey. Um, but as we bring people into the team, I think, you know, our, um, our filters are really focused around, um, you know, it's more, you know, obviously skill is really important and it takes, uh, we're up against some amazing, uh, talent and organizations with a ton of resource. And so, you know, we need to equip ourselves with amazing talent, but the talent that is also, uh, you know, humble and eager to learn and uh, team oriented, uh, those people are really special. And uh, the people that we gravitate towards, um, uh, do you have any other prerequisites for? I think you hit it all. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a word learning, um, how, what, what is, uh, how do y'all learn? Is that through reading, through listening, through conversations is like, what is your favorite way to learn? I think conversations with, um, I mean, we're fortunate that we're in New York city and we're just surrounded by a lot of interesting and talented people. And so the, like, kind of, I don't know, the kinetic interaction with all of these people, like each one, leaves you with a little something and that's part of the beauty of a, of a place like New York city for all of its, uh, downfalls, yeah. uh, mainly the, the weather <laughs> specifically, but like just being surrounded by so much talent and energy. And, um, we take little bits of every one of those interactions with us as learning. Um, I do love to read, um, but you tend to be more, I'm really a bit of a news junkie. So I try to, um, you know, equip myself with like what's going on, uh, across, you know, several strains of topics, but I'm not as much uh, a book reader as like a current affairs reader. So love, you know, the news and love magazines that are a little more timely. Um, so, you know, Na- national geographic, the economist, New York times, like just kind of try to go deep on those things. Um, I don't know how valuable those are in, in the business context, but, uh, learning just broadly, I guess. Yeah, I just love talking to people. <laughs> I think that what was so unique about how we approach things at Backdrop is, um, like, I feel like everything was just user-generated and crowdsourced, and we did many focus groups. Like, sure, we, like, I went through the, in our, our initial palette, I think I had, like, 75 colors, and then when we really started to dwindle things down, I asked people, like, okay, which red do you like better? Great. If you like that red, would you actually put it on your walls? Like, tell me why you put it on your walls. What's in, you know, what color your cabinets now? Like, tell me everything. And I think you can learn so much just by asking people questions. And I will ask everyone their opinion, even if I don't listen, even if I don't take it, I will listen to it. Because I think that everyone has a valuable perspective, regardless if you're a quote unquote expert or not, because everyone has an opinion and you know your taste. And I think that's what's so unique about color and paint is that you don't have to be an expert, like, but you know what looks good to you. Um, so I think Caleb, like, Caleb literally is just always consuming. He's always reading. He's always sending us articles. And um, we're big fans of Pocket. I don't know if you have that app, but it's like the Read It Later and Save app. Um, and I think he, I used to work in publishing, so I've always appreciated storytelling. But, um, yeah, I think that we approach that in different ways. I love it. I'm going to download Pocket. I go, I go, I have the Evernote note 
where I just copy and paste articles that I don't have time to read. And oh, no, Chris. It's like 500 well, articles pocket, deep. We'll start inundating you with articles. Yeah, Pocket's <laughs> great. I highly recommend it. Cause you, we like it, too, because you can save it for offline. So if you're traveling and it saves your spot. And... Well, it's valuable on a New York City commute where you're underground. You don't have, like, uh, internet service. Right yeah. Now. No, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to do that. All right. My last question. What is the best advice that you've ever received besides you should be on Chris's podcast. <laughs> hmm. I get a lot of sage advice. Let's think on that for a second. And I think just the best advice in general in starting and doing anything is, you know, like don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. And we've truly done that with everything. Um, when you're always seeking people's approval or, um, you know, waiting to know if it's right or wrong, like do what you're going to do and just do it. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. I feel like the, you know, the everything ultimately I think comes back to like the golden rule, right? Treat other people how you want to be treated, and um, you know, that that's um, such like a simple concept that we all take it for granted. But I think you know what that translates into is empathy, which is really important for uh, for any person, but it's also really important as you're building a brain, and so. I think just really trying to empathize with people, understand their context, understand how you can better serve them. I think, you know, it all comes back to that, you know, age old advice. I couldn't agree more. This podcast has actually been really interesting uh, just over all these episodes because a lot of the times when asking questions like that or talking about it's, you know, it's easy to say, I know this is a cliche, but this, and they're cliches because they're true. Um, they, they couldn't be more true. Treat people how you want to be treated is, is the golden rule. And, um, it is, uh, it's, I'm going to actually send you guys this book I read at the end of the year, but it's, it's basically all about that in a little deeper detail of, of what it means when you do do that and what it means when you don't. So, um, y'all are it's not an easy concept. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, and it's tough, um, if you're not in the mood to treat people great, to treat people great sometimes, but, uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Y'all are, uh, y'all are awesome. Um, I've been super fortunate to continue getting to know y'all and, uh, watch this journey. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to, uh, spend time with me on this podcast. And I look forward to chatting and catching up with y'all again soon. Thanks for having us, Chris. Thanks so much, Chris. See you soon. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review for us on iTunes. It will help more folks discover each episode. You can also reach me on Twitter at Fort Worth Chris or our email at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.